Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I'm your host and narrator, spring Jack, and we're going to get started today after just a few brief disclaimers. First of all, the show might offend you. If you're easily offended, please turn the show off and spare me the negative reviews on the podcast store, or the iTunes store, whatever the fuck you call it, uh, because you won't like the show. This is your first and final warning. Second, I use... If you like smartphone games like Digifarm, try the new spinoffs. Available on the iFruit phone, drone, and all overpriced tablets, it's Digifactory Farm. Ha ha! I just slaughtered 10,000 cows! Die, you cows! Digi-Death Camp. Digi-Gangster. I'm a tiny pixel gangster. I'll kill your tiny pixel family. And Digiplaya, where you seduce and manage your harem of tiny digital foxes. Buy them expensive digital flowers and Sprite diamonds. Drive a tiny digital sports car. Increase the length and girth of your Sprite's penis with experience points. Treat women with the same disdain they've always treated you by clicking and ignoring them. Here you go. You deserve that woman. The Digi family of mobile games. It's a revolution in human interaction. It's a revolution in social. War is hell, but so is stringing multiplayer levels together into a credible storyline. I've got a serious level 5 black grade continuity problem. We're in the rainforest. Uh, I mean, the UN. I'm going in. I, I mean, out. Clear. Blue team, we're taking a lot of hits. The screen's getting all red and nobody's ordered the DLC. Righteous Slaughter 7. The video game features levels like Cluttered Warehouse, African Rebellion, Polar Nonsense, Desert Surprise, innovative levels like nothing you've played before, including the surprise space level we won't talk about until the game comes out. Righteous Slaughter 7. The identical art of contemporary killing. How do you kill? PG. Pretty much the same as the last game. Alright squad, welcome back to another wonderful episode of Anthology of Horror Halloween Special. Let's just get right into it. I am once again on the shithole that is Reddit, and I found a three-part story that I have not read, but it looks promising. It's called All My Exes Die After We Break Up. Which is something I can relate to. My first girlfriend, Crystal, died at 16 right after I broke up with her. For a long time, I thought it was just a coincidence. I felt differently when my next girlfriend, Nicole, died right after we broke up a few years later. They both died in odd circumstances. Crystal crashed her car flat sober on a straight road by herself, and Nicole drowned herself in a bathroom after falling asleep in the bathtub. Both were labeled as accidents, and I was never questioned by the police. But plenty of people around town talked and wondered quietly if I was cursed. I personally wondered the same. Then I moved away. The military took me all the way across the country, and I was happy. I fell in love with a girl named Katie. Everything was good until I went to a cousin's wedding out of town by myself. The drinks flowed. Too many drinks. I lost control. I got in deep there with a girl that I thought was too hot to not keep talking to and keep drinking with. We ended up back at my hotel room. I was too drunk to stop. We had sex, and she stayed the night with me. I woke up with an instant sinking feeling of regret. I also woke up alone, but the girl whose name I couldn't even remember was in the shitter. She was crying. I listened to her weep uncontrollably for a few minutes, unsure of what to do. Then I heard glass breaking and rushed into the bathroom. 
The girl from the night before was in there with a shard of broken mirror in her grasp. I begged her not to hurt herself. She screamed back at me that she loved her boyfriend and she couldn't believe what she had done and she wanted to die. Then she inexplicably started saying a name I hadn't heard in years. Holly Eve. Hearing that name reached into the darkest recesses of my brain. Holly Eve was a dirt-poor girl from my fifth grade class. Homely. Nasty. She was teased, and someone who received no interest as somebody anyone else wanted to date. Instead, she was mocked. All right, Casanova, you're in fifth grade. Nobody's dating anybody. We went too far. Somebody dared me to ask out Holly Eve and pretend to be her boyfriend for a week. I agreed to do it in an effort to impress my peers. Holly Eve seemed to have no idea that our relationship, quote-unquote, was a farce. She held my hand in the schoolyard and didn't see the other kids snickering all the while. The worst part is I could feel she was sweet and genuine during our time together. She was a genuinely nice person. Driven mad with guilt, I had to get out of it. I had my friend break up with her a few days into the spoof relationship. Holly Eve was crushed. I felt horrible. She never made eye contact with me again. One day after recess, I came back to my desk and found a piece of paper with burnt ends and found an endless abyss of vulgar and dark words scrawled all over it in black ink and pentagrams. I tried to decipher what it specifically all meant, but I couldn't. I'm just sure it said awful shit. Embarrassed and guilty, I never told anybody about it or confronted Holly Eve about it. Holly Eve moved away at the end of the school year. One of the girls in the class said that she lived near her and thought her parents were deep into the occult. Witches, spells, all that kind of shit, but I figured it was made up. It wasn't until I heard the woman in the bathroom screaming out her name that all those scrawled words of hate and love and darkness on that burnt piece of paper Holly Holly Eve left on my desk all those years ago came back into my head. That dark, disturbed little girl must have cursed me and any lover that left me. Holly Eve, the words spat out of my one-night stand in the bathroom and snatched me out of my memory drive. Then the woman took that shard of glass and ferociously sliced both of her wrists before I could do anything to try to stop it. Damn, son. Why, you gotta screen the people you bring over, man. They do weird shit in your bathroom sometimes. (laughs) Uh, Or in your living room. The girl from the wedding ended up living, and she explained to everybody that she did what she did to herself and wanted to cover up for me being there to protect her own relationship, so I got lucky and nobody ever found out. You're a dirtbag. I know what you're thinking now, but don't. The girl later died after her wounds were infected from gashes. The curse was indeed still in effect. I had an easy solution to it all. I was going to marry Katie and stay with her forever. Yep, you've proved how trustworthy you are. I proposed. She was a bit thrown off by the haste, but she said yes. Everything was going well. We kept going through the motions of love and prep and slow planning of our wedding, because I wasn't in any particular hurry. Then I came home one day, and her wedding ring was resting on the kitchen counter with a note that said she was leaving me. No reason was given. She said in the note she had to stay away from me for a week so she could be of clear mind. There was no way I could make that happen. I knew I was racing a clock. I was waiting to hear that she had died every second as I drove around going to every place that she could have been. I found her at her sister's house after hours of pleading and explaining that her safety was in serious question. She finally came out and talked to me in the front yard. I explained everything. I watched her face convey that she now regretted every single second of our relationship. Then she walked inside. Weeks went by without much sleep. 
I kept just thinking I was soon going to be invited to her funeral, and I wondered if it would be in some circumstance where people thought I might have done it to her. She showed up in the middle of the night one night with a knock on my door, and I let her in, so happy to see her alive and breathing. She explained that she had nearly died in three separate freak accidents since she'd left me. She believed in the curse. She could feel it inside of her. She had suicidal thoughts she had never even imagined before. We had to be together, so out of necessity, the wedding was back on. Dirty tricks, man. You're fucking manipulating her emotionally and blackmailing her. <laughs> yeah, if you leave me, you're going to be cursed forever, you dumb bitch. You need me to live. Shady. Now you're probably wondering, why did that dark little girl who I fucked with back in fifth grade do something that ultimately won me back the love of my life? Wasn't she now going to kill Katie or something? Wouldn't that be the point of a curse? The thing was, my time away from Katie made me realize that I didn't love her. I didn't really miss her and enjoyed my time alone. I thought about my previous, dearly departed partners and thought I loved them more than her. And I dreamed of a relationship that would truly bring it all together for me. I was cursed with fake love forever, or I had to be okay with Katie dying. So the fake relationship I pranked that poor girl with in fifth grade meant I was going to be stuck in fake relationships for the rest of my life. Well played, Holly Eve. Well played. Your grocery store defines what kind of person you are. Join the organic elite at the Grain of Truth and shop with superiority. Food has never been this self-satisfying. Featuring organic, natural, fair trade, macrobiotic, sustainably harvest, farm-to-table, goji-infused, antioxidant-rich, 7-grain, 12-grain, whole-grain, gluten-free, cruelty-free, vegan, vagina, non-genetically modified, zero-trans fat, free-range foods at prices you simply won't believe. It's that or are you more of the factory-farmed, genetically altered, hormone-infused, horse-meat-infected, slave-labor-harvested, agribusiness-supporting, obesity-causing common herd? We didn't think so. You're just like us. You belong. Shop with people just like you. People that drive hybrids and listen to public radio and argue about recycling. It's unscalable elitism for the sustainable crowd. Open up your mouth and look down at people. It's delicious. It's the Grain of Truth food stores, naturally exclusive. I used to enjoy lighting up a bowl of black tar heroin at work, but with today's climate, you can't smoke anywhere. That's why I got the Electrotope electronic pipe. You hear that? It sounds like I'm freebasing smoking a pipe, but it's electronic. Looks like a bass pipe, feels like one, tastes like one, and most of all, it feels real. That's because the real chemicals you enjoy are being delivered by harmless water vapor. It uses highly sophisticated micro-automization technology to make the consuming of hard drugs healthy, discreet, and pleasurable. And it's completely safe. Pick from many different cartridges and flavors. Peanut butter flavored meth, cheesecake cocaine, bubblegum flavored heroin, just to name a few. Finally, there's a safe and discreet way of blazing a bowl. Visit electrotokesystem.com today. Man, that commercial always gets my heart rate up. So Katie and I went through the motions of our loveless marriage, knowing the alternative was death for her, though sometimes I could tell she was wondering if that might be better. What was the point of living a life where you could never experience true love? I could handle it, but I couldn't handle watching Katie struggle to handle it. I would make, wake up in the middle of the night to hear her crying to herself. I had to see if there was some way to solve the curse Holly Eve had over me. So, like all useless dickheads, I turned to the internet. I was shocked to quickly find a subreddit dedicated to Holly Eve and the people who had fallen victim to her curse just like me. 
I put out a signal to get people on the sub to reach out to me, explaining what I explained in my previous part of the story. A signal. You put out a signal, you mean you posted a fucking sniveling message? Or a subreddit post? Reddit people suck balls. Colin wasn't the first to reach out to me about Holly Eve, but here's where the rest of the story has to all start. We met at a dive bar in San Francisco. He kept looking around like he was scared someone was going to find him in there. He had the most broken energy out of anybody I've ever met. Man, you are a talented person. Fucking womanizer, military man, spiritualist, aura reader. I fucking hate you. Colin was haunted by the apparition of a young woman. Scorched and melting, the smell of burning human flesh appeared before he would see her. Ooh, that's close to home. Then she would appear where he was, frequently lighting up the night as a sooty human flame which shrieked with the force of a dying child, staring at him with unforgiving eyes. The vision would have been bad enough just for Colin. The problem was the apparition always appeared the first night Colin was alone with a girl. It started in high school and was still going on now, well into his 30s. <laughs> Elderly man, I see. <laughs> it always followed the same script. Colin found a new love, even if just for one night sometimes. He and the girl eventually got alone. Shortly after, the apparition appeared, horrified the girl, and she ran away. So he has a cock-blocking ghost? <laughs> Oof. If the rare girl came back for a second time, that same thing would happen. The apparition would appear in some new shocking way, pop up in a mirror, hang upside down from the ceiling, slip into the covers once he and the girl did it, and nobody ever lasted longer with Colin than a second try. He gave up on trying to experience any kind of love or intimacy in his 20s, and he withdrew and became celibate. To him, his life was essentially over. There was almost no joy, just fear and pain. Oh man, that's how you know this story was written by a young man. <laughs> life ends when your dick stops working. Then he tried to give it one last try, thinking he may have found a loophole. He went to a friend's bachelor party and ended up in a hotel room alone, getting a lap dance from a stripper for longer than he would like to admit. The apparition never came in, and he wondered, what if it won't come in if there's not even a hint of love in the transgression, purely just a business transa transaction? So he hired a sex worker and went to her hotel room. He wanted to see if he could experience some kind of physical fulfillment and not be haunted. It started out well. He got the deed done for the first time in recent memory. It was relieving, shockingly professional, but enjoyable. And he thought he found a new way to get some kind of release in his life in the arena of what you could call the closest he could get to love without terror. The sex worker went to the bathroom after things were over. Colin grew alarmed when ten minutes went by and she didn't come out. He knocked on the door. All he heard was crying. Oh, man, I've had some nights like that after the Carolina Reaper sauce gets put on some of my food, just crying on the shitter. <laughs> Whatever, it happens. What is this? He heard her voice ring out at him through the door. Colin tried to get her to explain what was going on in the shitter, but she just screamed back. You better be out of here when he gets here. Colin didn't know who he was, but he didn't want to stick around to find out. It's her pimp, dumbass. He quickly found out he wasn't going to have a choice. He heard the door to the room unlock, and quickly, Colin was looking at one of the largest men he'd ever seen in his life. The intimidating man, he described as the woman's manager, grabbed him by the back of the neck and drug him over to the bathroom door. The woman in the bathroom eventually was okay with the door opening, slowly. Colin said he could smell that burning smell before he even saw what was going on in the shitter. 
Still, he was not prepared for what he was about to see. The sex worker was in the middle of the room. Wrapped around her form behind her was the apparition of Holly Eve, charred and burning, a haze of smoke billowing around them. Colin could see Holly Eve's arms tight on the sex worker's body, and she watched it burn into her. She screamed in pain as Holly Eve held her tighter as Colin and her manager approached the bathroom doorway. Colin could also see Holly Eve's eyes burning into him, torturing him. The apparition knew what it was doing. He could feel it. Colin felt the hard metal of the manager's gun hit him up against the head before he could try to move. Then he fell hard to the ground. With his final couple of blinks, Colin saw the manager carrying the sex worker out of the bathroom, still smoldering, and he saw Holly Eve standing there in the bathroom. Colin then spent most of his time fucking around on Reddit, looking for people like me out there who had had similar experiences so he could try and find some solution to the curse that he was living. Well, I was the same as him, more or less, so what could I do? It seemed to me that he might be able to help me more than I could help him. I wanted to know how this all started for him, but he had conveniently avoided that part. At this point, he started to get sheepish, blushing, and breaking eye contact, staring down into the fourth drink he had almost finished in an hour. He clearly didn't want to talk about how the curse all started, but he started in ominously anyway. I brought this on... I brought this on all of us myself, he said. Colin was born and raised in a small town on the California coast just a few towns over from where I grew up. He was a rich kid. He explained he was much better looking when he was younger. Same. <laughs> he said it so many times it started to really weird me out. He was a decent looking guy with some extra pounds, so who gives a shit? He also kept insisting that I don't judge him until I hear his full story. He knew the girl who was his apparition. Her name was Holly Eve. She showed up on the first day of seventh grade, and no one asked where she came from, and she never volunteered the information. She just kind of appeared one day. She stood out. She wasn't the typical small-town girl most of the boys flocked to. She was edgy, odd, and haunting, yet beautiful. He said now she would be the kind of girl who'd become a fashion model because she had a look, but would swear she was never popular growing up because she was always just tall and awkward. All of this drew Colin in. Only problem was there was no way he could be with her. As he mentioned repeatedly, he was very good-looking, he was rich, he was the coolest kid in school, he could never date the weird, weird girl who showed up with the holes in her shoes and the thousand-yard stare. Colin got overconfident, though. He thought if Holly Eve became his girlfriend, then he could make her cool, make her attractive. He asked her out, she seemed shocked, and then said yes. Colin loved spending time with her. She was easygoing, cute, and sweet when no one was around. She was different from the other girls he had dated in the best possible way. She did not become the most popular girl in school, however. Things actually got worse for her. She used to kind of just be an afterthought at school, but now everybody in class was making fun of her actively, and the girls were singling her out. Colin tried to press through it. He tried to sell his friends on how she was actually really cute, really cool, and really funny. It didn't work. No one else saw it. Everyone also kept asking Colin the same damn question. Is this some kind of a joke? Tired of the perpetual abuse, he event eventually relented. Yes, he lied. The whole thing is a big fucking joke. Then he had to break Holly Eve's heart. Holly Eve had fallen in love with Colin, and he knew it. It was not going to be easy to go through with all of it, but dumping her would allow him to go back to his normal schoolyard life of not getting made fun of and questioned constantly. He had felt his popularity slipping. He had to do it. She took it even worse than he thought. 
She sobbed uncontrollably, hyperventilated. She kept asking him why. Why? Colin had to stop himself while telling me this part. I could feel the pain channeling through her and then him and then hitting me. No wonder this poor girl was haunting the world. He started to act strangely after that. He told me that part. He didn't want to tell the story anymore. He said he had to go to the shitter and then never came back. I only got him on the phone eventually when I called from a different phone number. He talked to me long enough to tell me that T Holly Eve did die, not at his hand, and that was all he would say. Well, he did say that she burned to death just before he hung up. I went home that night and didn't think too much of it. There were plenty of other Holly Eve victims I was in contact with. Colin may have just been another link in the chain, though I couldn't deny it seemed like this was the origin story for Holly Eve, and that made his thread possibly stronger from the other ones I was pursuing. I got some confirmation on that after I ate dinner at home that night. My nose began to tickle as soon as I sat down after eating, and the smells of the meal went away. Something began to sting my nose and eyes. It felt and smelled like when the plume of your campfire gets thrown into your direction. I didn't think anything of it until I started to feel like I was no longer alone and the smell kept getting more and more intense. I walked into the kitchen, wondering if I had left something burning on the stove or something. I was greeting, greeted by blinding plumes of smoke as soon as I opened the door and stepped in. I couldn't see anything, I could only feel and hear. I felt a cold hand strong on my neck and I heard someone crying uncontrollably and hyperventilating. Then I heard them asking over and over again, why? I was able to get out of the room and come back later. The smoke was gone, the crying had stopped. Holly Eve was gone, I knew it was her. Yet it was troubling that she simply presented herself that way to me, and aggressively. This was much more than simply destroying my love life. I contacted Colin every way that I could. Reddit messages, texts, voicemail. It was a day before he responded on stupid fucking Reddit. I'm sorry, she just won't stop. Best of luck, Colin. Then his account was deleted. The apocalypse is coming. Will it be aliens, zombies, or a global financial meltdown and a massive tsunami that takes us back to the Stone Age? Whatever it is, you need to be prepared so that when the nation rebuilds, this time, you're at the top of the heap. At Ammunition, we're your one-stop shop for the apocalypse and global Armageddon. Announcing the Ammunition Recession Special. Full post-apocalypse kit with machine gun nest, water purifier so you can drink your own urine, and cyanide pills so you can go out like a man, frothing at the mouth and spasming on the floor before the Soviets or undead get you. Pick up a Predator drone so you can rain down hell on unsuspecting but inappropriate neighbors from the comfort of your couch. Whether it's aliens trying to colonize Earth, zombies trying to feast on brains, monkeys spreading the plague, or children begging for a sip of water from your carefully hoarded supplies, they've all got to be suppressed, which is why our bulk buy discount is proving so popular on shelves. As well as bullets. When a million zombies come running over the hill, you'll be really pissed you didn't buy enough bullets. When the apocalypse gets here, don't dial 911, dial 357. Ammunition, protecting your rights. What will you do when you finally win the lottery? I'm gonna buy a pile of blow three feet high and get really addicted. Man, I'm gonna hire some junkies to molest my boss. That'll teach that bitch for sending me to HR. Start dreaming. Play the San Andreas State Lottery and have all your fantasies come true. Eric lived down in Los Angeles. He was a failed actor, pushing 40, and somehow an eternal optimist. 
Holly Eve showed up in Eric's class in the sixth grade, a mysterious new kid that caught the eye of the self-described shy loner. She was a manic pixie dream girl before that was even a known thing, Eric explained. She was a little Zoe douche canoe plopped into my rural southern Oregon hometown, sitting there in a flower dress with long black hair and big eyes. Sad eyes. I'll always remember those sad eyes. Eric drank $15 craft cocktails as he told the story like they were the oxygen he needed to stay alive, and his eyes floated around the bar like a madman's. He was either crazy, on drugs, or Holly Eve had ruined him over the years. She was the first girl I was ever brave enough to talk to, I think because I could tell she was a, I, I could tell she was a little weirdo just like me. I talked to her slowly and eventually asked her to be my girlfriend in the library. Nobody else seemed to want to talk to the kids who were reading sci-fi books and faking injuries to get out of P.E., Eric went on. Eric and Holly Eve started a little sixth-grade love for the ages, a lot of hand-holding, some kisses and some sweet notes, but that was about it. She didn't talk much or seemed to really have much of an opinion on or memory about anything. She just kind of listened to him most of the time. I was definitely the typical 90s problematic male. Ugh, God, mansplaining everything. Shut the fuck up. Talking endlessly about The Simpsons, Star Wars, Stephen King, video games, Monty Python, Weezer, and all the typical nerd boy stuff from the 90s more nerd boy stuff from the early 2000s, amigo. I should have known something was up when she kept listening to my shit, really, Eric rambled. There was another odd thing about his young romance with young Holly Eve. When people weren't looking, she got aggressive. If no one was around and we were kissing, she would bite my lip, draw blood, she would slap me out of nowhere. I don't know, I kind of just thought, hey, I guess this is an adult relationship. I guess it explains a lot as to why I can't keep one now, Eric said. Eric's demeanor started to change. He started to get a bit wispy and nostalgic. It was the best thing I ever had. I know we were young, and I probably sound psychotic saying this, but I really felt like we had a connection that I've never had with other girls. I know I shouldn't, but I almost miss it, Eric explained. I wanted to know where Eric's story went from here, and he was tired about and was tired of hearing about his longings for whatever cursed little romance he'd have with, had with Holly Eve in days gone by. Every girl he had dated after Holly Eve slowly turned abusive on him, all the way from middle school up until his mid-twenties. Verbal, mental, and physical, he got all of it. Every kind of girl, too, even if they seemed like the sweetest thing, eventually they would turn. He would even check in with other ex-boyfriends of the girls, and they would all swear that the girls had never got like that with them. It was just him. Ugh, I don't need to say it, it's a low-hanging fruit joke, but you guys know what I'm thinking. Eric explained... He thought the problem may have been that he was drawn to women who looked like Holly Eve. Pale, long dark hair, big sad eyes, and a detached demeanor. He thought that maybe if he found the opposite, it would help. And he thought he had solved the curse, but he hadn't. This is Eric's er, Eric's memory and story as best I remember it. Her name was Jordan. She looked nothing like Holly Eve. Short, tan, blonde, bubbly, full of life, natural smile. We met on a fuck app. It took a year of me avoiding girls like Holly Eve. I swear it was like they were drawn to me. I'd constantly get likes from girls who were way out of my league, but they were exactly like Holly Eve. Jordan and I were perfect. She liked the same weird shit that I did. Was an extroverted introvert, which is, like, hard to find in Los Angeles. You mostly get one or the other. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Totally. Things moved quickly because of all that. We were basically living together in a month. Happiest I'd ever been. This nice, hot, positive girl is just hanging out at my shitty apartment all the time. 
dope. Sorry, I struggled to even talk about her without feeling like I couldn't have saved it. But after three months, I'm thinking about marriage. <laughs> and after this part of the story, I'm thinking you're a fucking idiot. Don't say that, obviously, but it's in my head. Like how a girl thinks about her f how her first name sounds with her new guy's last name right when they meet. That was me. Is that true, ladies? Do you do that when you first meet a guy? Message me on Instagram.com slash DukeLand is 17. I kept waiting for it to turn. I kept waiting to meet up with her as her place. at her place and never throw a grass at me or scratch my neck or try to bite my dick off for no reason, but it never happened. We went on our first trip, a road trip weekend up in Big Sur. I splurged. Got a big cabin above the rocks. God damn it, dude. Big Sur is entirely above the rocks. That's the whole point. There aren't any cabins that aren't above the rocks. <sighs> the first night starts great. Good dinner, good wine, good scenery, good sex. I fall asleep without even realizing it. I wake up in the middle of the night and she wasn't there. I look all over the cabin and I can't find her, so I start to panic. I walk out onto the deck and look down at the rocks and the rough water below. I wonder for a minute if she'd jumped. I turned and saw her on the roof, standing up there in the moonlight. I was relieved until I saw that there was a noose in her hand. She started slowly walking towards me on the roof, getting, getting right to the edge, getting me to shut up. Please, Jordan. I pleaded one more time as she stepped to the edge of the roof. The rope isn't, isn't for me, it's for you, Jordan sadly, Jordan sadly so flat. Jordan said, sadly, so flat, I almost didn't register what she said. What? I asked and stepped forward. Jordan jumped off the ten-foot roof without hesitation, her feet landing right on my chest. She caught me off guard and was able to pin me down in just a few seconds. She slipped the noose on my neck before I could do anything. I tried to fight. I'm not the biggest or the strongest guy, and she got the jump on me, quite literally. She dragged me off the deck in the blink of an eye and got the noose around my neck. I was suddenly hanging hundreds of feet above jagged rocks, the noose around my neck. I looked up and saw Jordan above me for one second as I felt the noose tighten around my neck. There was no sorry in her eyes, just rage. She walked away, leaving me there, hanging. Luckily, I had grabbed the inside of the noose before I dropped, and I was able to wedge my hand in there enough to where I could keep it from choking me for a while, but I would eventually run out of energy. I heard the sound of my car driving away. Jordan had just left me there for dead. My only hope was a light I saw off in the distance. There must have been another house nearby. I screamed for help, straight for a good five minutes. I heard a car pull up in front of the cabin. I wondered if it was Jordan coming back to finish the job. I was relieved when I saw a man arrive. He saved my life. At the end of his story, Eric was shook up. He said he needed another drink and a half before he went on. He explained Jordan connected with him the next morning, apologizing and apologizing. She wondered if he was going to tell the police. She said she deserved to go to jail. She didn't know what had happened. It was like something else took over her that night before and everything... Something had took over her the night before and, and did everything in her body and all she could do was watch. Eric, being the mild-mannered pussy boy that he sounds like, didn't turn her in. I mean, you know, good job for not snitching, I think, but fuck you. He had been through this before. It wasn't her fault. They would just, just wouldn't see each other anymore. Eric gave up on dating at this point. No more apps, nothing. He had to be celibate. He explained the worst part was the more he fought it, the more Holly Eve's curse tried to pull him in. The more women hit on him, the more beautiful the women were that hit on him. Eric and I shared some more drinks before I was nearly blacked out drunk and had to excuse myself. Any doubt I had about... If Eric was telling the truth, vanished when I saw him getting into a car in the parking lot. 
I watched a sultry, dark-haired Los Angeles beauty, who easily could have been a model, actress, or hooker, walk up to the awkward and out-of-shape gargoyle that was Eric as he got into the car in the parking lot. She was throwing serious flirtations at him. He smiled politely and drove away. I watched the woman walk past me as she left the lot. Her eyes were completely black as oil. Available in all good bookstores now. Chains of Intimacy by Terry Bolin. You always criticize guys for looking at porno. This is different. This is erotic literature. I worked hard to be taken seriously as a woman in a man's world. Now I've realized it was all nonsense, and all I really wanted was a rich pervert. It's time to free yourself from convention by doing exactly what everyone else is doing. Reading drivel. And if you enjoy Chains of Intimacy, pick up the other books in the series, The You Bend of Intimacy and The Plug of Intimacy. I'm a housewife. God, I'd love for a dashing billionaire to buy me diamonds and piss on me. Chains of Intimacy by Terry Bolin. Available in all good bookstores now. What happens when rich American tech billionaires think they're rocket scientists? Race to Pluto, the amateur space race reality show. Who will get into orbit first? Who will burn up on re-entry? And which rich asshole will prove beyond all reasonable doubt they're the biggest dick in the galaxy? Race to Pluto, only on CNT. All right, so ends the story of Holly Eve. This next one is called, I Thought My Apartment Was Haunted. The truth is so much worse. In retrospect, it should have been obvious from the start that there was something going on. It was my first time renting an apartment, but even I thought the landlord was eager for me to move in as soon as possible. The rent was ridiculously low for the area. The apartment itself was in pristine condition, and the whole process from touring the apartment to moving only took about a week. Nothing like that comes without a catch. <laughs> well, common... <laughs> what, do they, what do real estate agents say? Common, common law? Not common law. Whatever, where they have to tell you someone's been murdered in the house. Apartment 311 was a pleasant place to live at first. It had two bedrooms, one bathroom, and since I lived alone, that meant I got to convert one bedroom into my own office space. It came with a handful of paintings already, so I didn't even have the off-putting liminal feeling that some empty apartments have. You mean the old hospital walls when you move in? I love that look. The, o the only immediate downside I could tell from the start was that there was a slight smell in the living room from time to time. It wasn't anything too noticeable, but you would occasionally get a faint whiff of some sort of stank. I was living in apartment 311 for a couple of weeks before I noticed anything was wrong. It started out with simple stuff, like various knickknacks being placed on the wrong shelves, snacks and small objects going missing, shit like that. Once or twice I found the fridge left open. These things would only happen when I was asleep, and it made me feel like I was just going crazy or sleepwalking or something. There was no way anybody could be breaking into my apartment just to steal useless shit and move around collectibles. The door was locked whenever I went to bed, and if someone hypothetically had the key, I always made sure to bolt the door as well. I considered getting some security cameras set up, but I balked at the price when I looked into that possibility. Though the apartment was admittedly cheap, between rent and utilities, I still couldn't afford to set up an entire security system. Tell me you live in Los Angeles without admitting it. <laughs> I tried to put it out of my mind, assuming that maybe I was just sleepwalking or getting up for a midnight snack and forgetting by the next morning. 
I'd never been an easy sleeper. I was often prone to night terrors and other disturbances, which had only gotten worse now that I was in an unfamiliar environment. Of all the sleep problems I've experienced, by far the least pleasant is sleep paralysis. Oh, come on, dude. It used to happen fairly rarely, maybe once every two to three months, but after moving into this apartment, it became an almost weekly occurrence. Now, usually, my sleep paralysis is fairly mild. I find myself unable to move, eyes open, and I find it difficult to breathe. Sometimes I feel like there's a presence in the room with me, but before I moved, I had never experienced any form of hallucinations, visual or otherwise. I'd never seen a ghost, monster, hag, or any other sort of entity while I was paralyzed. It was only ever a sense of dread and total paralysis of the body. That changed about the same time I noticed missing food and misplaced objects. On a quick side note, if any of my listeners have ever actually experienced sleep paralysis, please message me on Instagram. Uh, Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. Please tell me your actual sleep paralysis stories, and I, I promise I won't sneer at you. I just want to hear if it actually happens to people. As usual, it felt like I had woken up, but it couldn't move a single muscle. It was hard to breathe, and I had this awful feeling that I wasn't alone. I tried to calm myself down to remind myself that I had been through this before, and it always wound up okay, but something felt different. It was then that I noticed the door to my bedroom slowly opening, inch by inch. I could hear the creak of the hinges as it swung inward. Somebody, or something, was coming into my room. He peeked his head around first, dull eyes reflecting the faint glow of moonlight from my bedroom window. He was bald, with pale, flaky skin. I wanted to scream when I saw his expression, but I was still a prisoner of my own body. The man had forced a disgust- had a forced, disgusting grin on his face. Chipped yellow teeth clenched tightly together, grinding against one another. I watched in horror as the rest of the man's body slowly passed into the room, tiptoeing as if he were creeping up behind somebody in a cartoon. The man was utterly emaciated, almost skeletal in appearance, and covered in sores and pockmarks. He was stark naked and smeared in dirt and filth. I could do nothing but watch as he slowly inched ever closer towards me, until I could feel his hot breath upon my face. It smelled like the musty odor I sometimes detected in the living room. Not once did I see his expression change. He didn't even blink as he stared at me, and I could feel hatred radiating off of him like heat from a furnace. He just stood there looking at me for what felt like hours, and eventually he turned around and slowly slunk back out of the room, gently shutting the door behind him. A few minutes later, I started to be able to move again. The paralysis was wearing off as my body started to wake up properly. I had to call in sick to my job that day. The experience was such a shock to me that there was no way in hell I'd be able to get any work done. I spent a good hour just checking every every room to make sure I was entirely alone. I searched in the closet, underneath the sinks, in my office, anywhere I thought somebody could be hiding, but when I found nothing, I managed to convince myself it was all a dream, that I was safe. Things continued about the same for a while after that. Objects still went missing from time to time. The smell in the living room stayed just as musty as it ever was, and about every week or so, I'd have another sleep paralysis incident. Of course, now every time I I did experience sleep paralysis, I'd have to see my unwanted visitor again. I named him Jimmy to try to reduce the terror a little bit. Putting a silly name to a horrifying face helped lessen my fear slightly. As far as sleep paralysis hallucinations went, Jimmy wasn't too bad once I started to get used to him. He never touched me or sat on my chest like some other people's nightmares did. He just stood and stared. He was still deeply unpleasant, mind you, but I felt lucky that it was kind of consistent unpleasantness at least. Then I found the photograph. 
I noticed it underneath a pile of papers while I was doing some cleanup. A picture of two women embracing in front of a waterfall. I didn't recognize either of the women, and I assumed it must have been from the previous tenant. I texted the landlord, Greg, and asked if he still had the old tenant's phone number so I could give her a call. He obliged. And within a few minutes, I was calling her. She picked up after a couple of rings, sounding slightly exasperated. Hello, this is Rebecca. Who's this? Hi, my name is Flora. I'm the current tenant of apartment 311. I think you may have left a photograph behind when you moved. I was wondering if you wanted to pick it up or if I could mail it to you or something. There was a long pause on the other end of the phone. Hello, I asked. You need to get out of that apartment. You're not safe. I honestly didn't have any response but to laugh. Is this some kind of a joke, I asked her between chuckles. I heard her sigh with frustration. It's not a joke. I'm serious. Things have been going missing, right? That got my attention. How did you know that? It happened with me, too. My girlfriend and I kept noticing things being moved or disappearing while we slept. Little things, mostly. Snacks, knickknacks, nothing major. Now, I never saw this, but my girlfriend swears one time when she got up in the middle of the night to get a glass of water, she saw this naked man just staring at her. He was covered in sores and looked more like a corpse than a person. She woke me up and we called the police, but they didn't find anything. I think... Rebecca paused for a moment, choosing her words. What? What is it? I asked, increasingly panicked. I began to worry that Jimmy was more than a hallucination. I think 311 is haunted. We asked around to some of the other residents, and apparently the last guy that lived there just disappeared. Our best guess is that he must have died and his spirit just never left. My girlfriend is into some occult stuff, so she tried a cleansing ritual or something like that, but it didn't work. Things kept disappearing, and eventually we decided to move. I hung up the phone in a panic. It was rude, sure, but I was just so shocked that I didn't know what to do. At the very least, I began to understand why I got this apartment for so cheap. I found myself sitting on the couch for a while, occasionally getting a whiff of that musty stink. I stared blankly at a painting on the wall, one of the ones which was already there when I first moved in. It depicted a woman in a white dress sitting underneath a tree reading a book. I couldn't tell what was making me so focused on it. It seemed utterly unrelated to what was happening. Eventually, I stepped out of it and went into my office to do some research. After a little bit of digging, I found out some information regarding the tenant who lived here before Rebecca, the one who disappeared. Apparently, one of his co-workers put out a missing person report six months ago. His name was Michael Hansen. And I gasped when I saw a photograph of him, because he looked exactly like Jimmy, but not as emaciated or filthy. I hastily packed some of my things and made arrangements to stay at a friend's house for a couple of nights, telling them that my apartment had a roach problem and the landlord needed to fumigate it. I called into work and gave them some sob story about an uncle dying, enough to get me a few days off. So with no more distractions from the ghost of Michael Hansen, I slept soundly on my friend's couch, unbothered by any sleep paralysis. The next two days were spent researching. I checked out dozens of books on folklore and the occult from the local library, scoured paranormal internet forums, and even watched a few episodes of some cheesy ghost-hunting TV show. I was determined to figure out a way to put the spirit of Michael Hansen to rest. The stories were all wildly different, with countless potential solutions to my problem. Some sources said salt was a surefire way to banish spirits. Others said iron was a, was as good a ghost repellent as any, but most simply said I should give up and move. However, one myth piqued my interest. According to some beliefs, the spirit of the unquiet dead could be tied to objects from their life, binding them to a place where the object resided. If the object which their soul was bound to was destroyed, it freed their spirit and they could move on to the afterlife. 
I remembered the paintings. I had assumed that they were put there by the landlord, but it was possible they were left behind by Michael. I arrived back to the apartment, determined to grab the paintings and burn them, laying Michael Hansen's soul to rest once and for all. I felt like some sort of a hero, a badass monster hunter who saved the day with her intuition and a little bit of book smart. One by one, I pulled the paintings off the wall, putting them in a cardboard box. I made a mental note to buy some lighter fluid on the way to the empty lot where I planned to burn them. I approached the final painting, the one which showed a woman in a white dress beneath a tree reading a book. I pulled it off the wall and recoiled as the musty stink increased in intensity. Staring in confusion, I saw a small rectangular hole where the picture used to be, about four feet off the ground and two feet by two feet in length and width. I shuddered in fear, remembering that Michael's body was never found. Perhaps he was murdered, his corpse hidden in the wall by some unknown assailant. I nervously flicked on my flashlight, peered within the hole, and screamed. I ran out of apartment 311 as fast as I could before calling the police, sobbing with terror. I had been prepared to find a dead body, maybe cut up into little pieces and wrapped in duct tape. I was ready for death, decay, and rot. There's something fascinating about ghosts. Something somehow romantic about the notion that that part of somebody could live on even after death. You've got issues, bitch. There was nothing romantic about seeing the clenched tooth grimace of Michael Hansen glaring at me with hate as he stood in the small section of hollow wall which he had been living in for the past six months. Ooh, boy, howdy, that was a good one. I fucking love stories like that. That was a high note, so on that note, I leave you. Thank you for tuning in to another Halloween special of the Anthology of Horror. I'm your host and narrator, spring Jack. If you want to reach out to me, you can do so on Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. That is Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. Please be sure to check back tomorrow for more Halloween special episodes. Thank you for your time. And until next time, stay spooky.